Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Alright everybody, hello and welcome back to another NBA podcast. I'm your host Chris Platty and now this is a start of a series that I'm doing that will lead us up to the regular season and it is uh, NBA offseason divisions podcast. So today I'm starting with the central division and each week I'll go division by division and that should lead us up to the NBA preseason and then we'll get ready for the regular season. guys let's get started shout out to will wade for making that beat by the way i'll put his link in the description but uh on to the division all right so central division podcast and we will start with none other than the champions the cleveland cavaliers because i think that that's the easiest one to get out of the way all right so cleveland obviously their big moves are re-signing lebron to three years 100 million making him the highest paid player in the nba for the first time ever in his career which i thought was an interesting stat um for those of you that are wondering, it was Kobe that was the highest paid player all throughout LeBron's career up until this point. Uh, they re-signed Jefferson, who was a key addition to them in the finals because of his 3-4 versatility, the, the way he can play either forward, his defensive flexibility to guard 2-4. through four. He was a veteran presence, very high IQ, great outside shooting. So he was really key. Um, I know if you, if you watch the broadcast, I know you would have heard time and time again them raving about Richard Jefferson the energy he brought the veteran leadership he brought and he really was critical for this team um at the beginning of the season you know people looked at that signing and questioned it and said you know what is he doing he probably won't play it's just a guy trying to get a ring but he ended up being very valuable and honestly as great as LeBron and Kyrie were in that finals they would not have won without Richard Jefferson's help he was that important to the team uh, so they signed Birdman, so LeBron is once again reunited with Birdman. Not a big sign, just to have a third center on the roster and one LeBron trusts. I mean, it's as simple as that. Um, they did get another pickup on, on the wing shooters, which is Mike Dunleavy from the Bulls. That was really their only hole, was a sharp shooting two or three. So I liked that move a lot. I mean, granted, he's paid quite a bit, but at that at the same time, uh, they they desperately needed outside shooting at the two or the three because neither LeBron nor Shumpert can shoot, and uh, they didn't they don't know the status of Richard Jefferson even though he has returned he might he might experience a little bit of a dip in productivity with his age, so it, it's never bad to have a, a nice backup especially one with the size of Dunleavy um, can play either two or three so very good pickup by um, by the Cavs. And then lastly, they signed Mo Williams, who may retire. But um, again, that would it'd be interesting if Mo Williams does retire, because then that would leave a huge hole at the backup point guard position. And uh, because they lost Elvadova too, which I'll get into in a second. But Mo Williams leaving would be would be critical because then you have 
key fielder as your next point guard. And while he's a rookie and he's had a phenomenal season at Oakland University, I don't expect that he's ready to be the backup point guard on a championship team. Uh, so let's get into the Del Vadova part. So they lost Del Vadova. Um, they lost him to the Bucks. And it's interesting because, like I said, if Mo Williams does retire, it, the backup point guard spot is really, really thin. And I, I, I expect, though, that Cleveland will be okay. I expect they'll be able to find some type of free agent out there that, can, that they can fleece for the veteran minimum. Everybody always wants to play for LeBron. So uh, I, don't, I don't expect it to be too uh, bad. But right now, if you're just looking at the roster, yeah, that's a huge concern and something they definitely have to find out because they definitely need a backup point guard, especially with not to be cynical, but Kyrie's health problems and history of bad injuries. I would, I would definitely, uh, if I was Cleveland, I would definitely invest in trying to find a good, steady, reliable backup point guard. Um, J.R. Smith is still a free agent, uh, but he's expected to sign. There's no word yet on his contract, but uh, I believe, I believe right now they said they're about five million apart in negotiations. But other than that, there's no word on how many years or how much the money is that he's asking for and all that. So we'll have to wait and see on that. And I, overall, I mean to there's not much room to improve the Cavs roster and there's no reason to because you just beat a 73 and 19 in the NBA finals. Um, again, it's so weird to say that, but yeah, the Cavs, the Cavs beat a 73 and 19 in the finals after being down three, one. And when you do that and you have LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love, there's not much need. Uh, there's not much room for improvement rather on, on that kind of a roster. So, so overall, they're fine. They're still going to cruise to the division. So that's the number one team in the division. I'll do my little uh, rankings at the end of the pod. But that's all I have to say on the Cavs because I don't think there's really much else to say on them. Now, Milwaukee's kind of interesting. So they signed Del Vadova to an awful deal. I'm not a fan of Del Vadova. Those who have listened to the podcast before, a guy who I think wouldn't have even been in the NBA if it weren't for LeBron. I mean, he was fighting for roster spots all over the league, and then LeBron suddenly embraced him. And LeBron just kind of, LeBron being a point guard, or a point forward rather, um, just allowed Del Vadova to do his thing, which was be scrappy, and you know LeBron liked him, so he stayed on the roster and got himself a $34 million contract out of the deal. So he needs to, he needs to give at least... 33 million of that to LeBron James, I think. Uh, but anyways, he'll, he'll be exposed. He'll be exposed in Milwaukee um, without LeBron. That's all I'll say because I'm from the school of if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, their next pickup was Mirza Toledovic. Real nice pickup. I like that a lot. A great stretch four. He'll be even better when paired with a high-level rebounder and rim protector at the five like Henson or potentially Miles Plumlee. I'll get into a little bit later, but I like him a lot. Uh, yeah, Mirza is not a great, um, he's not a great rebounder, defender, or anything by any means. He's okay on defense. He's an okay to below average rebounder. But like I said, when you pair him next to an elite five at the rim, um, when it turns like John Henson or Miles Plumlee, those guys that just block shots and grab rebounds and do the dirty work, then, yeah, Mirza Toledovic is a great pickup, especially when you talk about uh, how good of a diver Miles Plumlee is on the roll. When he rolls to the basket, that that has a gra- gravitational pull, which will free up more space for Toledovic. And there was almost no better stretch for in the NBA last year than Mirza Toledovic. So, great pickup. I liked that a lot. They desperately needed outside shooting. 
But uh, I will say that the caveat is I don't like deciding if he's paired with Monroe, a center who can't defend and who is an above-average rebounder uh, while he was in Detroit, but I didn't I didn't think he was that great of a rebounder in Milwaukee. Now it could have just been the situation, but we'll we'll see on that. So so I'll call him for now an above average rebounder, but not nothing spectacular. And again, he can't play defense. He can't protect the rim. So if you have Mirza Toledovic and Greg Monroe on the floor together, you're you're going to have no rim protection, and you're not going to have any type of um, any type of solid interior defense in any way, shape, or form. But um, like like I said, I like it with Miles Plumley though. Uh, he got an extension, and he has a he has a potential to be a typical rim protecting five. And at four years, fifty two million. That's a lot. It sounds like, but again, we're from this summer where everyone got paid, and four years, fifty two million. That's about average for a uh, price for a player with that skill set in this NBA market. I really like I really like him as a rim protector. I think he can develop into that. I think he can live into this or grow into this contract rather. Um, they could have maybe gotten a lower price, but these are the moves Milwaukee needs because look, they they're not at this point at least they're not a free agent destination at this time. So they kind of have to gamble on their own potential players and their players' potential. So uh, smart move by Milwaukee. I like it. It's not going to be a cap uh, a cap hindering move by any means. I think that that's a worst case scenario. I think that that is a tradable contract down the line, but. I, like I said, I'm I'm a fan of Miles Plumlee. I think he he'll be a great guy because he'll just do his dirty work. He'll grab the rebounds. He'll block shots. He'll run the pick and roll and dive to the basket. And uh, with his athleticism, uh, that will that will really help all of those all of those traits. Uh, they did lose Jared Bayless to Philly, which was one of their only shooters. So I had a problem with that. And Grievous Vasquez to the Nets, which means more time for Michael Carter Williams and Del Vadova. By the way, I want to say that I think this is the most awful pairing at point guard between point guard and backup point guard. This is the weakest in the NBA, in my opinion. Uh, Michael Carter-Williams can't shoot. Del Vadova had a pretty good uh, shooting percentage, but we'll see when he doesn't have a spaced floor like he did in Cleveland in a beautifully spaced uh, system where the floor was just completely spaced and he was just able to be a catch-and-shoot type player. So uh, we'll we'll see how his numbers go when he has to create more of his own shots. Uh, and they lost O.J. Mayo to a substance abuse violation. Now, I wasn't the biggest O.J. Mayo fan, but he was an okay shooter at times. He was streaky, but another scoring punch that they lost. Um, overall, though, I do like the Greek Freak a lot, but I'm not sold on how the rest of these guys fit, and they desperately need a good PG, which in today's NBA I think is a necessity. Uh, this is the worst team to me in the whole division because of their spacing is going to be really difficult and the pieces are just so strange. But I will admit that even though when I say that, that they have potential because of guys like Jabari, guys like Giannis, all, all of these young players could make leaps. And if all of them make leaps, then this team is a lot better. But still, I just don't get the pieces. I don't get how they fit. I'm just not a fan of it. Um, they, they have to make a few trades before I can buy into this team. And that's possible, too, because they are shopping Michael Carter-Williams and Greg Monroe. So I think if both of those guys go and you get additional nice kind of complementary players, then maybe maybe the four will open up and maybe this team can be a little bit better. But, um, yeah, to me right now, they're the worst team in the division. Now let's, now let's go to Chicago. Chicago's a very tricky team. This is probably the most head-scratching team in the division. 
in terms of roster fit outside of the Bucks. I have no idea how three guards who can't shoot past 18 feet consistently uh, will work. I mean, we've seen flashes from Wade and Butler, but nothing that's been sustainable. Sustainable. Um, Wade Wade has always been, you know, a average at best shooter from outside 18 feet. Jimmy Butler had a good uh, three point shooting season two years ago, but we'll see if he can. We'll see if he can bounce back from a slump last year, or maybe that that year two years ago was just an overachieving uh, year when it comes to shooting. So we'll have to see, but but that'll be a real important thing because if if Jimmy Butler can't have a great season shooting 38 to 40 percent from the three, then you have no three point shooting threats uh, between your guards and forwards, which is a huge problem. Now the I will say that the IQ of this team between Wade Rondo and Butler is off the charts amazing because they are all good playmakers, especially Rondo and Wade. Uh, But I don't know how much of a difference it can make when the defense is going to have such an easy time rotating because, again, there's no shooters uh, on this team. So I don't know know how they're going to use that IQ. I mean, it's going to be a lot of back cuts, a a lot of just running, but I don't see how they can grind it out and score a lot, and I don't see how their IQ will help them if they don't have the shooters to locate the open pass. Um, but I do I do expect Miritich to start, actually, which would help the four spacing, because if you start Taj Gibson, who they, who they project to start at the four, then you have absolutely no shooting one through five, none. So I think, I think you have to start Miritich, even though he is a streaky shooter at this point in his career. Um, and he shoots a lot of dumb shots, but again, this team desperately needs three-point shooting, and even they're not going to get it from Taj Gibson or from Bobby Portis, the guy in Chicago that everyone loves. Uh, if if he gets if he gets a majority of the time with the with the starters, and they'll literally have no good shooting on the court. And same with Taj Gibson. So I I don't know how that's going to work. I I really don't know how their fourth spacing is going to work at all when. You literally don't have to, the defense doesn't have to guard the three-point line. So it's going to be very interesting to watch how they make how they make it work in such tight spaces. Uh, I do like, though, that they got Robin Lopez for, for Derrick Rose. That's a great deal. He's a great center on the right team in today's NBA. He's an elite rim-protecting five, near an elite shot, blocking, uh, shot blocker with rebounding skills, and a guy who doesn't require the ball and is a team player. That is the... That is the uh, model for fives today in the NBA. Guys that can protect the rim, that can shot block, that can rebound very well, and don't require the ball, and it's just a team player. I So I like that, but I do have a problem with it. The only problem is how much he will be able to do on the offensive glass when the floor will be shrinked. Because again, I keep coming back to this point that with the floor shrinked uh, and, less, and less shooting, it will be easier for opponents to send a second body to Lopez because they don't have to worry about rotating to the open shooter because none of them can shoot. So um, they had a few sizable losses too. Let's get into those. Pau Gasol was a huge playmaker. He could actually anchor the defense while spacing the floor. Uh, so he was he was huge. He was their second best player, maybe arguably even their best player last year by the way he played. Uh, Again, he could stretch the floor. He could make passes from the high post. He could operate from the high or low post. He was a great pick and roll man. He he was a great shot blocker, great rebounder. Just an overall huge, huge uh, factor in their defense, especially with his off the charts IQ. Uh, then they lost Aaron Brooks once again, who is a good scoring punch uh, and one of the best shooters they had last year. 
Etuan Moore, another great shooter that they lost. Mike Dunleavy, who I mentioned earlier in the podcast, was traded to Cleveland, and that was their last great shooter uh, Chicago had on their roster. So, of course, losing Noah and Rose were huge, but they also realized that they were over. their times were over as a bull, so it was a good move by the front office. So I don't have a problem with that. Just have a problem with the lack of the role players that they lost and the shooting that they lost. I, I don't know how much scoring punch they have. I mean, between Rondo and Wade can get um can get baskets, but if they if they can't if they don't have any floor spacing, I don't know how they're going to be able to um score. So and and you need more than two scores in today's NBA and you need outside shooting. So I get I have to keep hammering the point home. I just have no clue how how this is going to work. And even Dwayne Wade, I think, acknowledges that this is going to be tough because he had a quote where he said, you know, he, he went back to his hometown Chicago, which I like a lot, and he said that he's here for more than basketball. So I think even even that's a little subtle hint that, hey, this might not, this might not go out well. We might not be championship contenders or even playoff contenders, but I'm doing this for a higher calling than basketball. Overall, I like and give the Bulls credit for parting ways with Rose and Noah. Like I said, it was the right time. They did it in the right way. And I like Wade and Butler pairing, just not when it includes another non-shooter like Rondo. And not to mention the overall team of non-shooters. I mean, so again, much like Milwaukee, the roster pieces just don't fit for me. But I have uh, much more hope for this team than the Bucks, just because I think that Rondo, I think that Rondo and Wade and Butler are so talented that I think you have to give them the kind of the benefit of the doubt. I mean, Wade's always been in the playoffs. He's been a great he's been a great player. Jimmy Butler's a great player. So I figure out that two stars and Rondo, who can be a star or has been a star at times, uh, you got to figure you got to figure that they can you got to believe that they can figure it out rather um, over just a bunch of young guys in Milwaukee like the Greek freak. Uh, Greg Monroe, if you want to call him a potential star, Jabari Parker. I mean, and I'm using star loosely on everyone but Greek Freak. So that's why I have a little bit more trust in Chicago. Indiana now. Okay, so Indiana, they had perhaps the most intriguing offseason in this division. They made a lot of great moves, trading a pick like Brooklyn, a pick to a team like Brooklyn, rather, that was desperate for picks and young players as they're in the midst of trying to just acquire picks after they gave them all away to Boston. So I like that Brooklyn got in the draft, so I like that move for them. But um, back to Indiana, they snagged a savvy veteran in, to, in uh, Thaddeus Young, who can do many small things. He does them well. He can defend. He can make plays off the pick and roll or from the post, high post or low post. He has a pretty high IQ. He shoots well from mid-range and has shown flashes of a good three-point shot. Now the problem is that he's a slow player. And Indiana wants to run fast, so I have no clue how this is going to work, and you'll see that that's a common theme. Uh, their next big signing was Al Jefferson. Three years, $30 million. Not a bad contract, considering what other bigs go for. Like I said, Miles Plum, we got four years, $52 million. And he's an elite post player who can score 20 points on anyone, and that's a really nice second option to have if you're Paul George, because I felt too many times that Paul George just had a bunch of role players, and those role players just couldn't score. There was nobody outside of Paul George that could get a bucket when they needed it. Monte Ellis was inconsistent in that manner. But I do think that Al Jefferson would is questionable fit because he has questionable health, his defensive game is non-existent, and he's getting older. 
and I just wonder overall how he can fit and who he fits with because you can't pair him with Turner because Turner, Miles Turner, their rookie, cannot shoot the three yet. Maybe maybe he has the potential to be a three-point shooter. And so that sacrifices for spacing and also slows down the pace, which again, this is a team that plans on running the ball and running it effectively, fast offense, quick buckets, run, this, run the offense through Paul George. So I don't know how that works. Um, and those are two of the more most important things, like I said, in the Pacers offense. Uh, you can't pair him with the stretch four either because he's not a decent, he's not even a decent rebounder or rim protector. So if Al Jefferson isn't protecting the rim or rebounding the ball well, pairing him with a stretch four or even playing Paul George at the four isn't a smart idea because teams can really just crash the glass on on Indiana and have a field day. So I I don't see how I don't see how he fits. It'll be interesting to see how much he plays and who he plays with. Maybe they bring him off the bench and they start Miles Turner and Thaddeus Young. That's a little bit more uh, spacing and fast pace. And then they throw in Al Jefferson when they want to mix it up and go slow. But by all accounts, it doesn't seem like Indiana has even considered slowing it down and grinding it out. Uh, and with with these additions and with this roster built, they keep talking about wanting to run. So I I got to see how that plays out. Uh, they picked up Jeff Teague for George Hill, which was an okay trade. I mean, George Hill is a better point guard, but Teague's a solid point guard, and he offers a different taste and I think George Hill just kind of wore out his welcome in Indiana he just kind of was there and he was kind of he did his thing but it wasn't really noticed by many fans so I think he kind of just wore out his welcome type thing so it gives him a different taste at point guard because he can play fast and the key is that he plays fast which is what Indiana wants but the downside of that trade is Hill's a better shooter defender and arguably a better playmaker than Teague so does this trade really help them or did they just get a bigger, quote-unquote, bigger name? Uh, the trade has the potential to be explosive offensively, though, because, I mean, Paul George, Monte Ellis on the wings, but the problems on offense will be, can Teague and Ellis actually work together and fight for, will there be a fight in the hierarchy for second to Paul George for the co-star or the sidekick role? Because um, Monte Ellis is a guy who loves to shoot. He loves to get his shots up. And, he, and he, he's a player, too, that Mateos has to have the ball in his hands to be effective. Without the ball, he's not he's not that good. He's not that effective. He's not an off-ball player like a Clay Thompson, a guy who can just run around screens all day. That's never been Mateos' game. He's a pretty solid playmaker, so he needs the ball in his hands and to create his own shots and to create shots for others. Um, but but plus, Ellis is, Ellis is, like I said, a guy who wants his shots and last year, Ellis struggled. They both struggled, actually. Neither of them gave effort on defense. And that that's my real question here is the defensive side of the ball is how are they going to fit? Neither Teague nor Ellis have played great defense last year. They were both awful on the defensive end. Now, granted, Teague played all year with an injury, so that's a huge question mark, Whether one, whether he's healthy into how much that affected his defense it was a shoulder injury it wasn't like an ankle injury that was affecting his mobility so you got to wonder how that fits in terms of uh and and how much benefit of the doubt we have to give Jeff Teague in this in this uh in this defensive question mark but they lost some key pieces uh Solemn Hill who was actually third I believe in effective field goal percentage this postseason 
which was only seven games for Indiana because they got eliminated. But that combined with his defense and his frame, his huge body frame, uh, that was a huge loss to a team like the Pacers who, who thrive rather on versatility. They also lost two rotation bigs. Uh, Hill and Mahimi both played major roles in Indiana's offense and especially their defense. So now you're shifting a lot of pressure onto Miles Turner, who showed flashes of being good, but we'll see how he does when he's asked to be that guy consistently in only his second season. Overall, I like a lot of the upgrades because they seem to be able to fit in the scheme which the Pacers are trying to build, which is up-tempo and floor spacing. However, I don't think all of these fits are near perfect on offense, like Al Jefferson, JT, and I'm totally out on this team's defensive capabilities. I have no clue how this team can throw um, can throw out their best lineup, and it will pretend have two or three, we'll see about Jeff Teague, uh, defensive liabilities. Because if you're talking their best lineup straight up is Jeff Teague, Monte Ellis, Paul George, Thaddeus Young, or, or Miles Turner, and Al Jefferson. And two, two or three of those guys are complete defensive liability so how much really and how and with no rim protector how good can uh this Pacers defense be plus they got rid of Frank Vogel who was an elite defensive head coach a great head coach when it came to defense uh he had a real nose for that side of the ball so I I I just don't know Nate McMillan hasn't had a good history of coaching well defensive uh minded teams so there's a lot of questions with Indiana I'm not sure. I'm not sure though if if Nate McMillan even overall is an upgrade over Frank Vogel. I know Frank didn't want to go fast. He wanted to grind it out, play tough defense. And Nate McMillan does want to play fast and he did he had okay success in Portland, but nothing uh nothing that would replace the status of Frank Vogel. So you you got to you got to wonder how good of a addition this really is to the team. At this point, I'm not sure if Indiana's a top four team in the East or they'll miss out on the playoffs. It can go either way. This team is so random. And when I get to when I get to my Eastern and Western Conference podcast, you'll see just how tight in the Eastern Conference it really is and how jumbled it really is. Alright, now let's move on to the Detroit Pistons. They got a stretch four in John Lure, whose size and defense is something the Pistons lacked with Harrison Tolliver. Um K-Love was a huge problem for Detroit in the playoffs. They, they, Tobias Harris could not guard him, and you couldn't throw Andre Drummond at him because then that gave up any rim-protecting defense that the Pistons had. So a guy with, with John Lewis's size and strength is a huge, huge uh, get for the Pistons. I know he's the most questionable at his price, four years, $52 million, But, again, with his size, his 6'10 frame, and his his body size, I mean, he has pretty much the exact same body size as Kevin Love. He's real strong on defense. He's a better shooter than Tolliver and always has been a better shooter than Tolliver. So he's a huge, huge upgrade at the four for Detroit, and he can even potentially play the five at sometimes. Uh, they got Boban. For those of you that don't know Boban Marjanovic, get to know the name. He is a 7'3", 280-pound monster. Uh he, he played for San Antonio last year after coming from overseas. And so he upgraded an already strong front court because Baines was great for Detroit last year. Uh, Baines spent a lot of time on the court because of Drummond's foul troubles in the hack of Drummond. Uh, so so they, got, they got a nice pickup, uh, Boban, who I believe is better. He's bigger, he's stronger, and um, he f- kind of fits what Detroit is doing. 
uh, may be better when, when Andre Drummond's in foul trouble. They can go with Baines and Boban, or they can, they can do some real interesting things uh, now with, with their front court and its insurance in case Baines bolts because Baines can opt out next year. And Stephen Gundy has said that that was a good pickup because of that reason, because the fact that Baines could opt out and get uh, some serious money. So uh, their next their next point guard or their next pickup rather was a point guard Ish Smith. Now he may not be great, but for six million and an upgrade over Steve Blake, that's a great deal for Detroit. His suspect jumper and him being on his tenth team. So I'm not overly optimistic on this guy. A lot of people around the league seem to be huge and very high on him, but uh, I'm I'm just not I'm just not selling it. A guy a guy with a suspect jumper on his tenth team already, and he's only been in the league seven years. So you you gotta wonder how much of an upgrade he really can be. But overall, huge upgrades to to the Detroit Pistons bench, which is now a top. 15 to top 10 bench maybe even maybe even higher than top 10 um and they've they've always had a top 10 at least last year they did and this year they're expected to have a top 10 starting five so i mean when you when you have a roster that's overall top 10 uh you're you're in a good position and of course they re-signed andre drummond that was a good move and the the one thing that i don't think people are talking about that's very important with detroit is they got their foot in the door and they had a meeting with Al Horford. And he was a, a, one of the top-tier free agents outside of Kevin Durant. Uh, LeBron James didn't really count as a free agent because we all knew he was going to stay. Uh, so, And then, of course, Andre Drummond. So he was in that elite upper-tier, a top-tier free agent. And sources said that the meeting went great and the Pistons had a great presentation and Al Horford liked what the Pistons offered. He just ultimately went with Boston because there was the whole story and whole narrative that he grew up wanting to play for the Celtics, and now you know he's got his chance. So, uh, so again, it, with a great presentation, this is big because it shows that the Pistons are maybe one to two years away from having a real chance at getting the star. They just need the right star in free agency to be available. But uh, regardless, Detroit is now on the map. I think with the young talent that they have, plus the uh, plus the great meeting that they had with Al Horford. And Stan Van Gundy around the league. Those of you that don't know, he has a he has a very high reputation of how the Pistons treat players around the league, uh, because he would he would give everybody. Um, there there was a story that came out that he would give all the rookies that they brought in for workouts, which was over a hundred. He would give them. Uh, he wouldn't just give them a sack lunch like most people do. Uh, most teams do. He would give them like a full on buffet and full course meal and all that. So he's always treated all his players good. Um, Josh Smith had nothing po- but positive things to say when uh, when Stan released him because Stan could have just traded him to a team like Sacramento who was actually interested in him. Uh, but rather he gave he gave Smith the option to get all his money while um, while being able to choose his next destination. So a lot of people around the league are talking about how great Detroit uh, treats their players. And this is a great uh, group of young guys who are only going to get better. So I'm very, very high on Detroit. I think they have a great long-term potential. And I think right now, when you have your core five or six players, your six best players are under 25, or under 26 rather, then you have you have huge chances of growth for each player. And you're bringing back all six of those guys. So I really like what Detroit's done. 
and I think that they have the they have the potential to make a huge leap because if each one of those players gets better, then overall this team is going to be much better. And this team played phenomenal with Tobias Harris. Since acquiring Tobias Harris, they were one of the top five most efficient offenses in the NBA. So th this is a really good team, and I think that this is a team that everybody should be high on if they if they stay healthy, of course, that being the only caveat. All right, so now that we covered all the teams, guys, let's get into my prediction for the rankings this year. So obviously Cleveland's number one. Um, I have Detroit at number two. I have Indiana at number three and Chicago at four and Milwaukee at five. Now I do think the three through five spot can actually be very jumbled. Uh, a lot of people are high on Milwaukee. I don't think they're going to be higher than the fourth best team in the division. Um, I think that Chicago or Indiana, one of those teams will always be better than Milwaukee. But I could see Indiana being really struggling and being the fifth best team, or I could see them being the third best team in a top four seed in the East. Chicago, I don't want to rule them out. Everything, everything logically tells me to rule them out because of just the way their roster is constructed. But uh, I just don't want to count out uh, Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade. So, uh, so I'm rolling with Chicago at four, Milwaukee at five. Again, Indiana is at three, and then Cleveland one, Detroit two. So those are my rankings. Once again, Cleveland 1, Detroit 2, Indiana 3, Chicago 4, Milwaukee 5. And that is your Central Division Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'm your host as always, Chris Platty. And I'll try to get an, a guest for the next podcast on the next division. But for, uh, for today, this was just a solo pod that I wanted to get out there for you guys. And for those of you that don't know, you can stay tuned and stay plugged into all my podcasts. They are on my Twitter and my Twitter handle is at crispy1132. That's C-H-R-I-S-P-Y-1132. You can find a link to both my iTunes and my Podbean accounts, which uh, have everything published on both sides. Um, so so whatever is easier for you, Apple users tend to like iTunes better and uh, Android users tend to like Podbean better. So it, again, it's all about personal preference, but both of them have uh, not only my NBA podcast, but also my hip hop podcast, uh, Strictly Hip Hop, which has launched fairly well and has, and has a lot of good reception and critical acclaim. So I'll be continuing that and releasing more content with that soon. Uh, a lot of great albums came out, so you'll be, you'll be definitely hearing from me soon on those podcasts. And like I said, you'll be hearing another NBA division podcast. I will leave the division a surprise for you when you tune in to the next podcast but um thank you guys for tuning in and as always please uh subscribe share and rate five stars on this on this podcast on itunes podbean wherever you use leave comments all of that because that's what the sponsorships see and it is 100 percent free for you guys to subscribe so don't feel uh don't worry about having to pay for any any content this is all free to you guys this is all this is all love so Take care, guys, and I'll see you again on the next podcast.